Hello and welcome to the show where we're talking about our health, where we're talking about looking good and feeling good, living longer and living stronger. Welcome to the Health and Sexy Show, a podcast meant for health conscious men and women of all ages and men and women of all ages who wish to learn more about their health and take better control of it. Welcome to our 14th episode. Episode 14 is part two, part two of our two part discussion about coronavirus. Yes, I just said it again, coronavirus or COVID-19, the C word. As always, if you have suggestions or would like to hear more on a particular topic, direct message me on Instagram at SeanFit50. That's Instagram at S-E-A-N-F-I-T-5-0. As always, I appreciate your remarks. I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate your involvement. Thank you so much. I made a qualifying statement at the beginning of part one because coronavirus has blossomed into a prominent political issue, one that will cause you to get into an argument with your mama. No one argues with their mama, but coronavirus will make you do it. My intent, again, is solely to provide facts and consensus opinions about COVID-19 and do my best to keep my opinion out of this. Again, the Health and Sexy Show podcast is meant to be informative only. If you have questions or concerns about anything regarding your health, you should seek assistance from a qualified medical professional. Well, in part one, we worked hard. We worked hard to develop the basic understanding required to approach issues surrounding COVID-19 in a responsible manner. We work to develop that baseline knowledge. You have developed your baseline knowledge, so what you now know is that COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus that was traced back to bats. Again, no one was eating bats. These infected bats turned around and infected other animals that eventually transmitted the disease to humans. The transmission of disease was tracked back to live animal markets in China called wet markets. Like I said, it doesn't sound like a place where you need to be picking up your groceries. There have been a total of over 5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 to date in the United States. So this stuff has been spreading. You now know that COVID-19 isn't spread by eating poop but primarily through respiratory droplets. So in essence, instead of poop, you're eating someone's spit. Yum, yum. Respiratory droplets can spread through the air from a cough, from a sneeze, or from even talking. COVID-19 can also spread when infected droplets land on surfaces and someone comes by later and touches that nasty surface and then their mouth, their eyes, or their nose without washing their hands in between. You now know that there are two basic type of tests used to detect coronavirus infections. The first type are the antigen tests that are diagnostic tests that detect current infections with the virus. The second type of test are the antibody tests that detect if a person has been previously infected. Antigen or the diagnostic testing is um, recommended to detect acute or current infection as I've mentioned. And these antigen tests can be inaccurate in two ways. Again, they are not perfect. They can either be positive when a person is not infected, which is called a false positive, 
or a false negative when a person is infected, but the specimen was collected too early or too late in the disease process and is read as negative. Testing glitches have been identified. Again, the coronavirus is new. COVID-19, the particular coronavirus we're talking about is new. And these tests are new, so there are glitches. Um, and certain test manufacturers have up to a 3% false positive rate. And for this reason, it has been recommended that positive tests from certain manufacturers be verified using confirmatory testing. False negative results are about six times more common than false positives and a lot more problematic since people who test negative but actually have the disease can continue to spread the coronavirus. You now know that the CDC recommends that a symptom-based strategy be used in cases of mild to moderate COVID-19 infections to determine when a person with a confirmed infection can end their isolation. Three criteria must be met to achieve clearance. One, at least 10 days must have passed since symptoms first appeared. Two, at least 24 hours must have passed since the last fever without the use of fever-reducing medications. Three, symptoms must have improved. And for severe, critically ill, or immunocompromised patients with COVID-19 infection, they must meet the same symptom-based criteria, the only difference being that at least 20 days must have passed since symptoms first appeared. You now know that there are several steps you can take to protect yourself and protect your family from COVID-19. These steps include self-isolation if you develop symptoms and seeking medical attention if your symptoms worsen. Social distancing, the six-foot rule, don't forget, and don't forget not to share personal items that could come into contact with saliva, your old slobbery pillow. Don't share that with anyone because if you have coronavirus, they can catch it from your nasty pillow. Wearing a cloth covering or mask that covers your mouth and nose when around others. And don't forget about regular hand and surface washing, including disinfecting surfaces often. So I know you've learned a lot more about COVID-19, but how dangerous is this virus? Why are governments so concerned? Why are they institution measures in lockdown to pre- lockdowns to prevent its spread? We've all heard at least one person who has said that more people die from flu than COVID-19. So let's take a closer look at mortality rate first to determine the, da- the danger of coronavirus infections, mortality rate being the number of people who die divided by the total people or the total number of people infected by coronavirus. And using this math, the United States has a COVID virus, a COVID-19 death rate or mortality rate of 3.5%. The COVID-19 death rate or mortality rate in the world overall is 4%. As you could imagine, there are different mortality rates for different parts of the planet. With the United Kingdom, the UK having one of the highest mortality rates at 15.2%, and Saudi Arabia having one of the lowest mortality rates at 1%. At-risk populations are a special concern when it comes to COVID-19 infections. This at-risk population includes older adults, which includes our parents, our grandparents, people we need to be looking out for, particularly those 65 years and older. At-risk populations also include people with underlying medical conditions, including diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, and those taking immunosuppressant medicines 
that reduce their ability to fight off infections. These are our at-risk population. People in the at-risk category are at a higher risk for developing severe infections and suffering serious complications or dying from COVID-19 infection. Differences in mortality rates or death rates from COVID-19 can be due to several factors that include the number of people tested, with more testing resulting in a lower, let me repeat that, with more testing resulting in a lower death rate, not higher as has been suggested. Demographics also play a part in mortality rates with countries having older populations having higher mortality rates since age is a risk factor for severe infection, complications, and dying. Now, how does COVID-19 mortality rate compare with other infectious disease? Remember, we've likely heard others said that the flu kills more people. So let's start with the mortality rate for the flu. There were an estimated 39 to 56 million cases of influenza in the United States during our most recent flu season and somewhere between 24 and 62,000 of those people perished from the flu. This equals a death rate somewhere between 0.06% and 0.1%, pretty low compared to COVID-19. There were over 650,000 deaths worldwide from the flu with the mortality rate of 0.06%. This means that the mortality rate of COVID-19 in the U.S. is 35 to 58 times higher than the flu. And more people have died from COVID-19 than during our past flu season with over 160,000 deaths so far from COVID-19 since January compared to the 24 to 62,000 deaths from influenza. So yes, everyone, COVID-19 is a dangerous disease. SARS is another type of coronavirus, also known as severe acute respiratory syndrome. It was caused, as I said, by coronavirus, and it was responsible for a 2002 to 2004 epidemic. This disease was relative, relative rare in occurrence compared to COVID-19 and resulted in only 8,422 cases, but a much higher mortality rate of 11%. There were only 27 people in the U.S. who were infected with SARS and none of them died, fortunately. Lastly, I'll talk about the outbreak of Ebola virus in West Africa that happened between 2014 and 2016. There were a total of 28,616 cases that were confirmed and 11,310 people died. Ebola Ebola virus infection resulted in a staggering death rate of 39.5%. Wow. So yes, again, COVID-19 is dangerous. It is more dangerous than the flu, so people need to stop saying that the flu kills more people. But COVID-19 is not as dangerous as SARS or Ebola. Now that we know it's dangerous, what are the treatments for COVID-19? Well, the most important step in treatment is obviously prevention, followed by self-isolation and staying at home if you come into contact with someone with the virus or test positive yourself. The only exception to this is to get medical care. And you have to be vigilant and you need to monitor your symptoms closely 
If you have a COVID-19 infection or a COVID-19 contact, then call or visit your doctor if your symptoms get worse. If you live with others, again, you must isolate yourself in the home, which includes wearing a face mask if you are around others to include pets. And again, those reasons that you should seek medical attention immediately are if you have trouble breathing, if you have persistent chest pressure or pain, if you have bluish lips or face that can mean you are not getting enough oxygen in your bloodstream, or if you have confusion or serious problems with your sleep cycle. These are all signs of problems with oxygen or respiration. The primary treatment for mild to moderate cases of COVID-19 infection is supportive or what's known as symptomatic care. It is important that you take the steps to remain comfortable and prevent your condition from worsening if you do become infected with COVID-19. These steps include drinking plenty of water to prevent dehydration and taking over-the-counter pain and fever reducers for mild pain and fever. So are there medications specifically for COVID-19? Unfortunately, there are not. There are no medications that have been shown to prevent or cure this disease. But there are several clinical trials underway, though, testing medicines that have shown potential for treating COVID-19. There are also clinical trials underway testing vaccines that may prevent or lessen the impact of COVID-19 infections. Severe infections are the ones that require hospitalization, intensive care, or a ventilator. Unfortunately, the most promising treatment for severe infections, meaning these treatments reduce the likelihood of dying and they reduce the duration of the disease that have been mentioned in recent headlines, include remdesivir. That's the first one I'll talk about. And you've probably heard of this recently. Even Dr. Fauci, he recommends and vouches for remdesivir as a treatment. It's been mentioned a lot and is an antiviral drug developed to treat Ebola. Remdesivir has shown to effectively shorten the recovery time of patients hospitalized with COVID-19 and lower respiratory tract infections. Dexamethasone, which is an anti-inflammatory and steroid drug, can be life-saving for patients with COVID-19 who are on ventilators. Convalescent plasma, I'm sure you've heard of this. The use of plasma collected from previously infected individuals to passively transfer antibodies in order to protect or treat humans dates back almost 100 years. There has been some evidence for benefit of convalescent plasma against rabies, hepatitis B, polio, measles, influenza, and Ebola. The vast majority of patients who recover from COVID-19 illness Develop some level of circulating antibodies to various SARS-CoV-2 proteins two to three weeks following infection. These people then can donate plasma that contains these antibodies and the plasma can be given to patients suffering from severe COVID-19 infections, which may help them recover and increase their likelihood of surviving the disease. There are some issues, some would say controversial issues, surrounding coronavirus that have caused a great deal of angst amongst Americans. Let's take a look at two of these issues, school reopenings and facial coverings from a basic risk-benefit perspective. The risk of not implementing any intervention that could potentially reduce or prevent the spread of COVID-19 are typically the same. These risks include, and you don't want this, increased number of coronavirus infections. We don't want that if we're smart. 
increased number of coronavirus deaths, particularly in our at-risk populations. Again, we don't want that either. An economic downturn, that's almost like a four-letter word. In other words, loss of jobs, loss of income due to shutdowns, and increased bankruptcy. We definitely don't want this one either. There are benefits to moving forward with opening certain essential services, especially when maximum mitigation measures are taken to keep the risk of disease spread as low as possible and contingencies are planned in the case of unexpected disease outbreak. Let me touch on school reopening, which is very important as students are returning. We understand that an increased risk of coronavirus spread exists anytime you have large gatherings and schools, we have to admit, are exactly that. What are the arguments for sending children back to in-person classroom study? First of all, children are far less likely to contract COVID-19 or suffer severe symptoms. And children have a much lower death rate. But obviously, it sounds kind of silly to even say that because obviously no one wants their child to die regardless of how low the death rate may be. Our children are social beings by nature and childhood is the time where, you know, we develop our personalities and many other of our important character traits. You know, closing schools affects children negatively. This has been proven scientifically and are predicted to have short and long term social, emotional, behavioral and academic effects. So it's going to affect how they interact with people, how they feel how they behave, and how well they do in their classroom studies. So closing schools has a significant effect on children. That's science. Science also says low-income and minority children and children with disabilities suffer disproportionately when in-person educational options are not available as they don't have the capacity to facilitate distance learning and are more dependent upon school resources like lunches and after-school programs. The available scientific evidence reveals that in-person schooling with appropriate mitigation measures is in the best interest of students. This is science again, not my opinion. Mitigation measures to reduce the likelihood of coronavirus spread in schools include social distancing, and this can be accomplished by decreased class sizes, limiting student and staff mixing by using cohorts or alternating or hybrid schedules, This means uh, the cohort grouping means having small groups of students that attend all of their classes together, limiting spread and reducing the number of people who are exposed should someone test positive. An example of alternating schedules would be having half the school attend classes, say Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and having the other half attend classes Tuesday and Thursday and then alternate each week. Hybrid schedules would include a mix of in-person and virtual or online schooling. Other mitigation measures include cleaning and disinfecting the school on a regular basis. Also, hand hygiene, very important. Hand washing with soap and water, 20 seconds. Or using a hand sanitizer that is at least 60% alcohol. The use of cloth face coverings or masks that cover the nose and mouth. If you do all of this with these mitigating measures, you can expect low transmission rates in schools. You also can expect low transmission rates in schools where community transmission rates are low and you can expect the opposite, meaning you can expect high transmission rates in schools where community transmission rates are high. Of equal importance, in-person schooling also enables parents and caregivers to work and feed their families. 
Parents are certainly facing some difficult decisions when it comes to sending their children back to school. I'm one of those parents. The new school year is, is, is very different, very different. We're facing some tough decisions and different school systems are providing different options. The typical options for parents when it comes to sending their children back to school include in-person schooling with mitigation measures such as cohort groups or alternating schedules. Another option includes virtual school with full distance or online learning. And a third option, usually a mixture of virtual and in-person learning. Now, who saw the recent news about the Georgia governor suing the Atlanta mayor because she made wearing masks in public mandatory? Or the congressman, who, a more recent story, the congressman who said he believes he may have contracted coronavirus by wearing his mask. Mask rules have become quite an inflammatory topic and quite a divisive issue as well. And what are the benefits of masks anyway? Believe me, wearing masks works to reduce COVID-19 infections. Again, this is science. You will be hard-pressed to find a public health expert who says otherwise. Also, you've heard about these medical exemptions for mask wearing. True medical exemptions for masks are almost non-existent. And if you do have a breathing issue so severe that it prevents you from wearing a mask, then you should not be out and about anyways. You are at a very high risk. So very, 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 very few reasons for an exemption for mask wearing in public. Mask mandates have shown positive effects and have led to slowdown in daily COVID-19 growth that becomes more apparent over time. So If you wear a mask, it reduces the amount of infections, the amount of death from COVID-19. And the longer masks are worn, these effects only become greater. So that is good and that is science. Also, regions where people are more accepting of wearing masks or governments have policies favoring mask wearing have lower COVID-19 death rates. Two recent cases shone a light on the protective benefits of mask wearing and preventing transmission in high-risk situations. In the first case, a man flew all the way from China to Canada, where he subsequently tested positive for COVID-19 after feeling ill. He was responsible and wore a mask on his flight because of a dry cough, and therefore everyone sitting close to him tested negative for COVID-19. They all tested negative. The second case is of two hairstylists from Missouri who had close contact with over... 140 clients while sick with COVID-19 and none of their clients tested positive because they both wore masks. Masks have proven to reduce the likelihood of COVID-19 transmission by 80%. This is science, not my opinion. Okay, so you've learned a lot about COVID-19. You've learned that COVID-19 is dangerous. It is more dangerous than the flu, but not as dangerous as SARS or Ebola. More people will die from COVID-19 this year than from lung cancer, than from strokes, than from diabetes, and than from car accidents. It's serious. A vaccine to prevent or a medication to cure coronavirus has not been developed as of yet, but we're working on it. We do have treatments that increase the likelihood of surviving a a severe coronavirus infection. These treatments include the antiviral drug remdesivir, the steroid medication dexamethasone, and convalescent plasma. There is a lot of discussion and argument when it comes to wearing masks and facial coverings. Again, scientific studies have proven 
that masks reduce the likelihood of COVID-19 transmission and death. Masks are an important mitigating measure as our children return to school. Parents are being faced with tough, I say tough decisions in terms of having their children attend in-person, hybrid, or completely virtual classes. Science again shows that in-person schooling is very important for children, but schools need to ensure that effective and appropriate mitigation measures are in place and enforced, and that effective contingencies are in place should students test positive for COVID-19. Many parents and teachers lack confidence in this, and due to the lack of a vaccine and a curative treatment, many parents will not be sending their children to in-person schooling in the short term. There is so much to consider, so much to digest, and to be able to make informed decisions when it comes to COVID-19. And now, and now it is time for my favorite part of the show. Damn, he is healthy. I'm talking about the man who has starred in two Godzilla movies, one of my childhood favorites, and lent his voice to two Transformer movies, another one of my childhood favorites. Damn, that is badass. He is also the first Japanese actor nominated for a Tony Award for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical. Now that's a mouthful. He is the professionally beautiful. Looking and being healthy are part of his job description. I'm talking about the 60-year-old Asian hunk Ken Watanabe. A wellness quote from Kim. Do what is right because it's right. Very succinct and very pointed words of wisdom. I like to say that we all know what right looks like. We just don't always follow it. Get into the habit of doing right when it comes to your health and well-being. Remember again that being sexy ain't easy. This is Sean Fit 50. As always, it's been my pleasure. Thank you and I'm out.